Would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and um, the title of this morning's message is Urgency. Urgency. And uh, I want to talk about listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 1 Peter. Um, First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is today's key verse. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, pilgrims, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Recently, I read a book called Evangelism as Exiles. Great book, uh, really encouraging, written from the perspective of a man who spent many years uh, in, as a missionary with his family in a predominantly Muslim uh, country. And uh, in that place uh, was most assuredly minority and presenting a gospel message in a place where it is illegal to uh, present the gospel or to convert anybody. And, uh, and so this book was uh, written for an American church at this time where uh, it seems that culturally, uh, rapidly, we are becoming the bad guys. Uh, the Christian morals and, and the ethos that has shaped our America, uh, is, it's all changing, uh, changing rapidly because of the ideology behind it all that used to be others-focused and now is most assuredly self focused and um, and as a result of that we the Christians who focus our attention on loving others as we have been loved by Christ uh, our, our our ethical considerations and our our moral judgments are becoming uh, less and less desirable to the world around us so we're becoming the bad guys in many ways uh, for example um, the, the the Roe v Wade uh, issue that uh, that happened over the summer the uh, the win the big win for Christians after many many decades of praying, uh, that God would reverse that, we'd be able to reverse that. It's uh, happened in the in the courts, but but it seems like a, a large uh, number of Americans don't agree. They don't want that, and states are beginning to make uh, a stand, take a stand against it. And we have promises from the from the current administration that they're going to do things to cement uh, abortion rights and so forth. And so what what we recognize is that the the Christian ethos, which is every life is precious uh, and all those who are unborn are also alive they are living beings and uh, and they are breathed their their soul is given to them by Christ by the lord uh, that ethos that is is highly contested and instead uh, what we see is um, this move towards the the, um, the the sacredness of the individual i don't have to give my body up to be uh, a womb for somebody else. That, that, of course, that's the whole argument. It's been an argument for a long time, but we recognize more and more that that's the, the, the way that our culture is moving, uh, has moved, and is it's now amongst us. So what do, we, what do we do as those who are now being seen more and more as the bad guys? Um, anyway, this book uh, about evangelism as exiles has been very formative for me. It's, it's, it's a good read. I encourage you to go pick it up uh, and to read through it just to see how do we engage a culture that looks different, uh, doesn't like us anymore. How do we reach them? And, and, and the bottom line is we reach them with Christ's love uh, and, and by standing firm and being brave. 
And, um, and that's hard stuff to do, but it's what we're being called to do as a church. Well, Peter writes his letter to the church in exile. And, uh, and in fact, that book, Evangelism as Exiles, focuses in on 1 Peter as well. Uh, probably over the next few months, we'll focus on 1 Peter as a church and look through it because it's rich, it's full. And it, it's very, very helpful in learning how to raise our family, how to de- design and, or perhaps not design, but how to fall in with God's design. Uh, because the world around us is changing, but the gospel never changes. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, And Jesus has given us the same truth, and it doesn't change no matter what the culture around us does. It is life. It is power for living. And and so in 1 Peter, uh, I want to pull out this urgent cry. Peter says, I urge you, I urge you as sojourners, as pilgrims, and exiles, uh, two things uh, very important to understand as a Christian, uh, themes, two themes, and you'll see them throughout the Old Testament, but Abraham was probably the first pilgrim that we recognize. He, he left where he grew up, he left what was familiar to go to a place that God had called him that he didn't know yet, and uh, that becomes a theme for every Christian. We're called out of the world that we know so well uh, to, to go towards the, the city of God that we don't know yet. We know through the scriptures what God has called us to, but we don't know yet because we don't see it yet. And, uh, and we have to wrestle through these things, but we know we're not home yet. And, um, and this pilgrimage is part of our, it's part of our calling, and, uh, and we need to see ourselves, identify ourselves as pilgrims. What, what is uh, one of the most important things for a pilgrim? Well, don't carry too much stuff. Uh, because you've got to carry it everywhere you go. So don't become too attached to the things that, uh, to the, the, the luxuries that you have or the, or the amenities that you have. Be ready to drop it all and follow the Lord wherever He goes because uh, He wants us movable. He wants us to be able to, uh, to answer the call at any moment at any time. That doesn't mean we don't get to stay, but we don't stay with the same way that other people stay. Uh, we don't grow roots the same way that other people grow roots. Uh, we recognize that our root is Christ. And, um, and so uh, that's something that we as Christians have to learn to give up. At Thanksgiving time, you're, many of you are surrounded by family, some not so much. Um, and, uh, and I know that that can be painful for some. But recognize this, that whether you have family or don't have family, uh, natural family, you do have a spiritual family. And that spiritual family is all over the world. And uh, they're here in your backyard, they're right here at church, and they're in other parts of the world as well. And as part of your Thanksgiving, I want to encourage you to broaden your horizons a little bit uh, with regard to your expectation. Who is your family? Who are your neighbors? And who are you called to reach? And as a sojourner in Christ, as a pilgrim in the Lord, you're called to live out your life loving all those around you with the same love with which you have been loved. It makes your life so much richer, my friends, so much richer. So as you grieve, perhaps some of you that your family is far away, or some of you wish that your family was further away, um, here at Thanksgiving time, recognize your family is much bigger, much bigger. Um, But he urges them as sojourners and also as exiles. Exiles are those who have been literally cast out of the communities in which they live. There there comes a time in the Christian world, in the Christian life, that persecution has uh, raises its ugly head. Persecution doesn't happen as much uh, for us as it certainly does in places where, uh, where the gospel is uh, outlawed. Um, but, but persecution still happens. We all experience it to some degree. Um, and, uh, and I just want you to know that you are going to be rejected by the world. 
we've said it many times, we'll say it again. They rejected our master, they will reject you also. If you are truly following Christ, you will not be uh, the one everybody wants to hang out with, um, the, the world, the, the one the world, everyone in the world wants to hang out with. So recognize that, acknowledge that, identify with that. Accept it as the identity that the Lord has given you in Christ. You are a pilgrim and an outcast in the world's eyes. But in the Lord's eyes, you are joint heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of the King of all kings, ambassadors in his name, declaring the good news of the gospel. So accept that identity also. And, and it, the two of them are the same. You are kings and priests and also outcasts and exiles because you are not from this, you're not from this kingdom. You are from Christ's kingdom. Those of us who are in Christ are new creations. The old has passed away and all things have become new. So Paul, uh, Peter writes and he says, I urge you, urge, I urge you. There's an urgency to this. Uh, abstain from the passions of the flesh. The reason why we want to get this identity thing down uh, is because with an identity comes a certain set of actions. If I identify as a superhero, then it's important that I get to live out like a superhero. Isn't that right? So wear special tights, yeah, and a cape. And uh, that would be very ugly, yeah. Uh, but um, but I, I, would need to have, uh, I would need to have some sort of attributes that would make me a superhero. A am I right? Come on, Peter, help me. Best superhero uh, attribute. What do you think? Squid launcher. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> Squid launcher. Okay. Best one. Flying? Laser eyes. No. Super strength. Teleportation. I like it. I like you. That's a good one. Wow. Okay, so I need to have some sort of attribute that makes me a superhero, right? I've got to act that out. If I'm going to identify as a superhero, I kind of need to act like one. Silly illustration, but uh, maybe you get the picture. Identity affects behavior. Am I right? If you identify as a pilgrim, you will act differently from one who identifies as a citizen uh, of the city. And so I need you to begin to understand that the, the activities that are common to the world around us are contrary to our Christian calling. Not all of them. Sometimes we share value systems, but many of the, of the activities of the world uh, actually fall into, a, uh, into categories that don't match our Christian identity. So, for example, uh, simple things like the language that we use. Uh, it's very important in the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament speak frequently about letting our words be seasoned with grace, using the kind of language that is uplifting, uh, not just the words themselves, but the meaning of the words and what they actually, what they actually do to the hearer, uh, how they lift up and encourage and build up rather than tear down. And this is a very important thing for those who identify as pilgrims, exiles from the world, kicked out of the world, but on account of that, we're accepted into the kingdom of God and we are not pilgrims, but we are on our way to the city. We are citizens of the city of heaven. Those attributes are imperative. We must learn to speak like citizens of heaven. And so if we are going to be, if we're going to be walking in the spirit of the Lord, then Peter writes and he says, I urge you, 
you know, as, as these identified as this, please begin to put aside all those behaviors which identified you with the world out of which you have come. And the lists of vice and virtue, uh, we've, you know, over the years I've preached on those lists of vice and virtue here from this pulpit, and uh, uh, it, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't trouble me to preach it again, um, because I think it's very important. It's not a moralizing uh, focus, it's, a, it's an identity focus, if you, if you know what I'm saying. I don't want to preach to you from a moralistic standpoint, but rather from identity uh, and it's no trouble to me to preach it over to you again, but you read through the letters of First and Second Timothy and Titus, and you'll see lists of vice and virtue. If you look at First Corinthians, uh, you're going to see, especially in First Corinthians 13, you see the virtues of love um, and, and some of the things that love is not. And, and if you look in First Peter, look in James, you're going to see a lot of vice-virtue comparisons. And uh, read through the Old Testament, look through the book of Proverbs, you're going to see vice and virtue contrasted with each other. Old Testament, New Testament alike, this is imperative for our identity. It's part of who we are, and it's the way we show who we are to the world around us. Um, we could show through our our um, our dress the way we the way we actually um, uniform ourselves, um, but I think I think uniforms are only well they're not even skin deep are they? Uh, they just cover the outside. Uh, but there are things that happen on, in the heart that regardless of how you're dressed on the outside, they, they are impossible to hide. The, 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 the true nature of the heart is impossible to hide. It comes out through your words. It comes out through your attitudes. It comes out through the way you spend your money. It comes out through the, um, uh, the, the way you spend your time. It comes out through the, the emphasis that you put on family or you don't put on family. The, the, the kinds of words that you're going to choose to speak even over yourself. Um, it's a... A beautiful thing uh, for us to take care of our physical bodies. Am I, am I right? It's good when we're healthy and strong. But, but godliness is of greater value than bodily uh, uh, fitness, isn't it? It's of, of, of immeasurably greater value um, because, the, uh, because the attitudes of the heart please God. And if God is... If God is well pleased with our lives, don't you know that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? So again, the urgency with which Peter calls us to this new identity is, um, well, it's, it's just, it's strong. It's strong. And Peter's not the only one who does it. Paul does it too. Anyway, let me carry on reading. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, across the page in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, you'll see this little passage. It says, therefore, verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. There's that word passion again. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What I'm picking up from this is that there is a way of living that we were all familiar with by living in the world. Then we got saved, and then there was a new way of life which we're not familiar with. And the likelihood that we return to our former way of living is very high. 
because it's natural to go that way. The world around us does it. We're influenced by many influences, uh, and, and it's natural for us to fall into that. But we are called to lay aside the passions of our ignorance and to begin seeking out the new identity and living according to that new identity. And it's an urgent thing. Okay. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but... As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Sounds like it comes from somewhere. He says, you've heard it was written, right? You shall be holy as I'm holy. Does anybody know where that comes from? It comes from Leviticus. Well done, Russ. Gold star for us. That's excellent. Do you know where in Leviticus it comes from? It does come from chapter 11. Well done. Do you know what verse it comes from? I mean, I'm, this is like Jeopardy right here. I'm very impressed. Verse 4. Wow. You, you have one of those Bibles that's got the notes, haven't you? Aha. Uh -huh. That's what's going on here. That's cheating. Uh, it also... So it comes from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 4, and it also comes from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 2. And both of those are, you know, I mean, the, the book of Leviticus is all, it's one, you know, one thing. So as you read through, you'll see the theme beginning to emerge. But specifically, the be ye holy for I am holy. Who said that? God said it. The almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who is revealing himself to the children of Israel at the time of Moses at Mount Sinai. And he's giving them, does anybody know what God gave them there? He gave them a covenant. Gave them a covenant. You weren't expecting that. He gave them a covenant, and the covenant came with some specifications, some rules. Basically, ten sayings, which we've come to know as the ten commandments, right? But really what they are is ten conditions, ten conditions of covenant with God Almighty. Okay, and uh, and so does anybody remember what those ten conditions actually were? Help me out here. See if you can get the ten. Let's go for number one. And ding. You shall have no other god but me, right? No other god but me. That's number one. Okay, number two. No graven images. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, number three. Oh, I'm liking this. We've got, some, we've got some Bible experts over here. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Is that right? Number three. What's number four? Come on. You shall keep the Sabbath holy. Number five. This is the best one. All the parents in the room should be rejoicing over this one. Honor your mother and father, right? Uh, number six. No, number, yeah, number six. Thou shalt not murder. Number seven. Hmm? Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's right. Murder and adultery often goes hand in hand. Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number, number eight. Thou shalt not what? Covet. Covet. Uh, actually, that's number ten. Um, but number eight. Thou shalt not steal. That's correct. Thou shalt not steal. Number nine. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not lie. And number ten. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife particularly, but thou shalt not covet at all. And um, so uh, those are the ten conditions of covenant with God. And uh, we know them as the Ten Commandments. And, um, and they get fleshed out uh, for us a little bit in, uh, in Leviticus chapter 19. 
And But Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 4 says, You shall be holy as I am holy. And in Leviticus 11, God is speaking very specifically about what the Israelites are going to eat and how they approach a carcass. Carcass. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, kids' movies. Whale carcass. Okay, anyway. Have you seen it? It's funny. It's a funny movie. Anyway. Sorry, endorsement there for Luca. Um, (laughs) Back to the sermon, Eric. You still have to beat, you have 10 seconds to beat Ben. Here we go. Not going to happen. Ben, you win. I concede. So, um. So we've got we've got how you how you deal with um, how you deal with, with with the dead and what you eat very very important things uh, because touching dead things was going to um, defile you and uh, and what you could eat could also defile you uh, probably because of a variety of, of reasons why you didn't want to eat nasty bugs with lots of legs. But in Leviticus chapter 19, it's fleshed out for us a little bit more. It's a little list of vice and virtue. If you want to turn there real quick. Um, I want to read it to you because it's, I think it's really profound when you compare this to the list of vice and virtue in the New Testament. And these are conditions that God gave the children of Israel, the Ten Commandments, conditions he gave them for the covenant where he would be their God and they would be his people, right? Essentially, it was a bridegroom and bride covenant that God was making. He was marrying his people at Sinai. And, uh, and these were the conditions of that marriage covenant. Which, of course, Israel went on to break, hence all the, you know, like Ezekiel and Jeremiah uh, and, and all of that. Um, but, but listen to these in, in Leviticus chapter 19. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, am, for I the Lord your God am holy. Now, Peter is referencing directly this. I think... Obviously, he's, he's referencing chapter 11, verse 4 as well, but I think specifically he's referencing this because some of the language of this it matches the kinds of things that he tells the church how they ought to behave and how they ought to live as sojourners and exiles. Okay, listen to this. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. Number five, number four. That's what he says. Number five, number four. Huh. So the first thing that he says with regard to being holy, as he is holy, has got to do with our relationships in the family. If you want to be holy as he is holy, which Peter tells us we need to do, and he urges us, urges us to do that, then we've got to take family seriously. Which family? And that's the part where I get back to what I said earlier. You have a broader family than you actually know. Your family, of course, is your nuclear family and your natural family, by all means. And you need to honor that family. But do you know that Jesus also said that whoever leaves father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, all that, for his name's sake, will receive in this life a hundredfold more and in the kingdom that is to come. He says, when asked, you know, when, said, when it said to him, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside waiting for you, and he says, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? These who do the will of my father, these are my mothers, these are my brothers. Jesus identifies family, not as the natural family, 
but as those who by faith have been apprehended by God into his new family. Which means that if we're going to read Leviticus chapter 19 in the light of the New Testament mandates, then we are first, if we're going to be holy, as God is holy, we are going to be first admonished by God to take this relationship seriously. Years ago, uh, when I was walking around with that cross, remember the one that Dan and, and Rita built for me? We had it on the wheel out there, and we walked it around the community many times. Uh, I was walking around with a cross, and I ran into a group of, of young people who were, uh, gosh, what was the name of that? The, 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 the yeah, insane clown posse. Remember, remember those guys? And they, they all had their little, their little um, napkin, scarf, whatever it was they had hanging from their belt and their tag and their knives in their pockets. And I went out there to meet them and we talked a lot about Jesus. And I took them out for lunch and everybody was terrified at Panera when I walked in with all these guys. And um, they cleared the room for us pretty much and sat down and ate food with these guys. And we talked about relationship and about the church. And I invited them to participate here. And they said to me, would, uh, would your family do this for you? And one of them lifted up his shirt. It's a big knife mark in his, in his side. And, and the other guy said, he took the knife for me. Somebody was coming at me with a knife. He stood in the way, got the knife. This guy w was willing to lay his life down to save mine. Would your church do that for you? And I remember feeling that deep sense of disappointment in my heart when I said, I just, actually, I, I don't. I don't know. We've never been put under that kind of con under, under those conditions. Actually, honestly, you know, Jay, I'm pretty sure you'd take a bullet for me. Depends on the caliber. <laughs> Depends on the caliber, he says. Nice work. It was a serious moment, man. We were bonding. I was making eye contact, and he's like, "If it was a pellet gun, sure, Eric. Anything bigger than a 22, forget it, pal." I think under, under the, the conditions, under circumstances, I think we'd, we'd probably be surprised at how much courage and bravery would emerge and how much true loyalty would happen right here in this family of faith. But when we're not under pressure like that, when we don't have to invite anybody over to our home, when we don't have to take care of the elderly within our faith community or the, the, the ones who annoy us or, or the ones who just make really bad conversation and it's nothing but tedium to sit there and listen to them for two or three hours while they go on about this and that. Honor your father and mother. I, I'm, I'm broadening that to say honor the children too. Respect and, and, and give room. Uh, Peter's like, yes. <laughs> I think there's this, there's this value that we need to place on the individuals that doesn't, it doesn't supersede the value of the community at large, but it gives context for community relationship and individuality within that. And I think it's if we want to be holy as God is holy, we've got to take those relationships really seriously. These relationships around the room. Look around you and see who have you never actually introduced yourself to. This is a tiny little church, guys. And if you don't all know each other already, well, shame on us. What, is, what are we promoting here? You're just coming to listen to an awesome sermon that's over in a minute? Yeah? No, you're here because you're interacting with one another as children of the King of Kings. We're going to spend eternity with each other. Be ye holy, even as I am holy. What, is he, what else does he go on to say? He says, every one of you keep my Sabbaths. 
one of the things that we need to do to be holy as God is holy is we need to take rest seriously and not just resting from our labors, but we need to rest in God. Sabbath is about resting in God. It's not just about vacations in, in Aruba. It's about resting in God. Now, that could involve vacations in Aruba because Jesus is everywhere, right, including there. But, but it's, it's, not, it's not about having the best vacation in the world. It's about resting in Christ, finding our place of the ceasing of our labors and breathing and being and stilling. And oh, it's so good. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. Can't worship your car, my friends. Although I'm tempted sometimes. I have a really nice car. Have you seen it? Yeah. I do. I brag about that car. I love driving that car. I was so excited getting back from Africa, Scott. Oh, man. I got back from Africa and I was like, ooh, I can leave that, that standard you know, stick shift um, big 16-passenger van that I was driving or 11-passenger van I was driving get back into my nice little Murano, you know, just... <laughs> Put my foot on the gas and vroom. the car in Africa had a governor on it. Does anybody ever drive with a governor? It was so miserable. I'm on the highway. I'm getting ready to overtake this guy. I'm like, ah, I got you, sucker. Put my foot on the gas. And <laughs> Nothing more than 100 kilometers an hour. Speed limit around me is 120. Everybody's flying at 150 and I'm trying to overtake at 100. <laughs> I love my car. Thou shalt have no graven images. Cast metal. We've got to take it seriously. Our belongings, our, 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 our houses, our, our things. Listen, we, I love the luxuries of life. We all collect them. And, uh, and that's okay. I think it's okay within its context. But let it never stand between you and the purposes of God. Let it never stand between you and the purposes of God. Oh, my friends, it would be better for us to lose absolutely everything and gain Christ. When you offer a sacrifice or peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. Well, that seems obvious, isn't it? You shall offer it so that you can be accepted. When we make our offerings to the Lord, are we actually thinking, will God accept this? Or are we just doing it because it's like, well, you know, this is kind of what God wants, I guess, so we'll do it. There's actually an invitation to walk in the pleasure of having been accepted by God. How many of you want to walk in that confidence? I am accepted by God, favored by God. Let everything that you do for the Lord be with this in mind. Lord, is this acceptable to you? Because I want to walk in your favor. Jesus has come to show us that walking in God's favor is God's intention for our lives. He's shown us how to do it. We ought to take that seriously. Be ye holy, even as I am holy. There's an urgency here, my beloved. There's an urgency. And uh, I'm not going to read anymore because I could spend a whole day preaching out of Leviticus chapter 19. But there's like 37 verses there that all uh, give you sort of vice virtue things and help you uh, to, to find your way into what it means to be holy even as I am holy, says the Lord. Finally, I want to note the Greek word um, that we have here in this word urgency or urgent. I urge you. It's a, it's a verb. I urge you. And, uh, and the word is parakaleo. 
Parakaleo. If anybody's ever been around church long enough, you'll maybe recognize that there's, there's something in there that's a little familiar. Does anybody remember um, John chapter 14, uh, where Jesus is praying for his disciples and uh, begins to speak to them? He says, I'm you know, the vine, or chapter 15, I'm the vine and you are the branches and so forth. In chapter 14, he introduces a topic to them, the topic of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I am going so that God can send you a helper, a helper. And the word helper there is the Greek word parakletos, parakletos, which is very similar to uh, the verb parakaleo. Parakaleo means to urge. It actually also means to, um, to argue in such a manner as to be convincing. Uh, it's the word, it's, 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 it's used in association with, uh, with courts of law. Um, it, it's used with, uh, with convincing arguments. I urge you, Peter says. I think that the Holy Spirit of God is um, multifaceted. He has uh, many attributes. And, uh, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit is, um, well, there are at least three or four categories where it's really, really powerful. For example, I think the Holy Spirit is the one who bears the power of uh, miracle, mi miracle working power, uh, creation style miracles. I think the Spirit of the Lord is hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation. And the Spirit of the Lord is the one that, that the Lord had uh, it, it, when he spoke the universe into existence. I think there's creative power. And I think uh, we see with the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts that uh, the Holy Spirit brought power to raise the dead, power to raise the lame up and, and, and restore them, power to, to give sight to blind eyes and miraculous things. I think that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. But I think one of the things that the Holy Spirit does that maybe we don't pay a lot of attention to is he is the one who speaks to us with urgency. He is the parakletos, the urgent one. He is the one who convicts us in our heart of things that need to be taking place right now or things that need not to be taking place right now. <laughs> Do you understand? Does the Holy Spirit speak to you? I'm asking you not in a general sense. I'm talking about very personally. Does the Holy Spirit speak to you personally? Does he urge you? to do things or to not do things. If you don't have the urgent voice of the Holy Spirit at work in your life on a regular basis, I admonish you to seek that. I think it's possible for us to become so distracted by the voices, the influential voices of culture, of entertainment, of the news channels, of our government, of our friends, of our community around us, of the marketplace. I think the, the voices of all of these education, I think the, 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 the strong voices, the urgent voices of all of these uh, can cloud out the voice of the Parakletos, the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you that it is imperative for us as believers that we begin to walk in the power of the Spirit. 
I don't think we'll walk in any kind of miracle working power until we're walking in the holiness of God. Um, I think the holiness of God is of far greater importance to the Lord to be holy as he is holy is a far greater importance to him than that we should be, you know, those who move mountains with our words or, you know, you shall be moved kind of thing. I, I, th I don't think the Lord's looking at us to become Jedis. I think he wants us to be experts at love and grace and humility and kind words and, and these things. And that's a far greater importance to him. But we will never walk in the full freedom of the Holy Spirit until we take on this admonition. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Peter urges us, Paul urges us in, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 and in, in, in 2 Timothy, uh, <coughs> I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, I urge you um, in uh, in Titus, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, the urgency is there. The writers of the New Testament urge us because the Holy Spirit is the one who's urging us. And I urge you, I urge you, abstain from the passions of your former ignorance. Press into God and begin inquiring so that you may hear the urging voice of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Far louder and far clearer than any of those competing voices. Thou shalt have no other gods but me, says the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessing in our lives. We, we don't deserve it. In your kindness, you continue to bless us. We have walked in our own ways long enough, Lord. Today, we want to wake up from our stupor and our slumber and remember that beautiful voice. Holy Spirit, helper, urgent one, speak. Your servants are listening. Lord, let your grace rest upon this congregation. May we walk out a life that is worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen.